are we allowing the culture and the environment to be such so that a whole individual can flourish and be authentic in the workplace? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Recruitment Podcast. It's your host, Neil Carberry here, and I'm about to serve up some thought-provoking discussion with the leading voices in the sector. Keep listening as we delve into the hottest issues in recruitment and staffing right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Delighted to have you join us on this episode. Fantastic uh, guest today talking about a really important issue that comes up whenever I'm around the country talking to recruitment uh, business owners and managers. Came up uh, in discussion in Cardiff just recently with a group of uh, two dozen owners and managers that we were meeting down there at the REC Wales National Forum. So looking forward to picking up on that issue of well-being today. But before we start, just a little bit of news from REC Towers. Uh, in terms of market data, I think it's generally the case that anecdote from REC members says that the market has picked up at the end of January and into February. Some of the activity that maybe was kicked into 2023 from 2022 starting to happen as members see uh, the uh, and particularly members' clients see the market perhaps less negative than they feared back in October and November and December. That's certainly the story that's told by our latest labour market tracker that came out on the 24th of February. Actually shows that in the first full week of February there were more new job ads this year than there were last year as the market starts to accelerate after a few week, uh, weaker weeks. Certainly demand still high and that backs up the data that we've seen month on month from our report on jobs. So we're maybe not shooting the lights out in the way that we did in 2022, but still a strong and positive market and, play and space for investment. Closer to home at the REC, we are just beginning the process of our uh, sector meetings. There is a healthcare meeting on the 2nd of March. Do come along and join us for, for that. You can check out all our sector meetings online and book on at rec.uk.com. And finally, if you want the big show, the REC conference this year is the 6th of July. I spent some time just today going through what is a fantastic agenda. Do book it out in your diary. And of course, that will be online so you can join from wherever you are. Now, let's uh, turn to our topic for today. And I'm delighted to be digging into the issue of well-being and have a fantastic guest with with me today to discuss it. Some of you will have come across Sahil Mizra before. Sahil is non-executive director at New Cross Healthcare. He's executive director at Future U and he's a global speaker and coach on inner wellness. Sahil, welcome to the REC podcast. Neil, it's always an absolute pleasure to share time with you and uh, delighted to be here. So, over the last few years, you've worked with a wide range of recruitment businesses on well-being in the workplace. And we all know that recruitment is a high pressure role and it's very focused on achieving targets. To your mind, what really matters to well-being in the workplace? It's a really good question. And I think what's really important is to just step back one second and look at that uh, word well-being or the phrase and to understand what it means and what I take it to mean. And I, I draw on um, the World Health Organization 75 years ago defined health as physical, mental, social well-being and not just the absence of disease. 
and it talked about flourishing. And added to that, I draw a lot on the work of uh, Professor Sheikho Saxena, who's the professor of the practice of uh, global mental health at Harvard, who adds another element, which is spiritual well-being. And what he means by that is the sense of connection and purpose that should be part of the whole person. So if we understand well-being as the whole person, encompassing all those strands, I think that's what matters there fundamentally is that whatever industry you're working in, are we allowing the culture and the environment to be such so that a whole individual can flourish and be authentic in the workplace? That That's the big question. And underneath that is obviously a number of strands. But that for me is the starting point and the context. So that is fascinating. And of course, we, you know, individuals well-being exists in the context of the corporate culture they work in, but also exists in the, the context of the time that they are working. And, you know, if we think about this latest period through the pandemic, some of the cost of living pressures, high inflation, we, you know, we're looking forward to the budget, uh, in, in March as an intervention on that lots of people working in hybrid ways doing a lot more online rather than in person what's your view on where we are now so if that's you've set a vision of what well-being should be what are the challenges and opportunities that the the experience of the last three years brings us yeah great great question again i think going back to your culture point one of the things that we've got to bear in mind is that we've got to facilitate that culture for the whole person. So that means things like the absence of a toxic working culture, absence of micromanagement, absence of stigmatizing people who are facing challenges with mental health. But the current circumstances post pandemic, if we can use that phrase, people still are, of course, suffering from COVID, no, no question. But inflation, hybrid working, new ways of working, the question of mental health challenges and how that impacts on a labor market, which, as you know, of course, has shrunk in terms of the number of people who are actually available for work is very different now post the pandemic. We've got shortages in everywhere. And as you said at the top of this show, it's opportunities are still there without question. We may not be shooting the lights out. But to your question, where are we now? I think we are still in a place of tremendous challenge where this is both an opportunity, but a call for employers and recruiters to understand that there is an economic issue as well as a moral one. So, for example, the World Health Organization says that depression and anxiety globally costs the global economy a trillion dollars. Deloitte say cost of mental health for employers is has grown by 25 percent, 56 billion. So this is the post pandemic we're talking about. So there's been a slew of reports out in the last few months, one in five, 17 to 24 four-year-olds have a possible mental health illness. Nursing Times literally this month talked about mental health being worse for 40% of the nurses surveyed than it was in 2020 or 2021. So where are we now? We are continuing to be within the consequences and the ripples of the pandemic, which served to literally exacerbate a pre-existing mental health problem. And I think we're still very much in a mental health Panic. And one final stat that I think that's worth bearing in mind for all of us, Gen Z are going to make 33% of the workforce within a decade. And a quarter of them, according to some of the latest stats, are facing mental health challenges right now. So this is an important issue from a moral point of view, but from a commercial perspective, it's a vital one for recruitment leaders and their clients. 
That's really interesting. And it's worth us taking a step back and just appreciating that in detail, which is as an industry, we pride ourselves on being hard chargers. You know, mm-hmm. we go recruitment traditionally, we viewed ourselves as working hard and playing hard. Is there something here which said that actually over time, what we're looking at here is the ability to continue to play hard-ish and to work hard-ish, but understanding that overload on any given day or in a, any given week is potentially contributing to burnout, poor well-being, poor performance ultimately, and, and damaging our workforce. There's something here about um, how do we maintain well-being without losing an environment where we're going for gold. Is that fair? No, that, that is fair. And I think one of the, the beauties of the recruitment sector, and I'm an unabashed fan of the sector, as you know, I've been involved in it for over 20 years, is its uh, essential meritocracy. So if you come here with the right attitude and you care about people and you work hard, you are more than perhaps many other industries going to be rewarded commensurately for that, irrespective of your background and other factors. So I think that's something to celebrate. Absolutely. I think the work hard, play hard culture is uh, something that we need to look at. It might be a clarion call for playing smarter and working smarter rather than harder. The the stats have shown, I mean, the Global Wellness Summit 2023 report talked around the fact that they call it knowledge workers, you know, people who are not in manual work, 70 percent of them, to your point, reported having burnout last year. This is 2022. And, and Alain de Hayes, of course, as you know, the former chief exec at ADECO said this was the next pandemic. So I think we it is incumbent upon all of us who are involved in the sector to adapt, as we always do, to economic conditions, but to also to adapt to the nature of the workforce that we're engaging with, and that we're serving and that we're employing. So it is a, a call to continue to be pride, pride, you know, to have pride in what recruitment stands for, but to also adapt it to the realities of uh, certainly this generation and definitely the generation that is now going to make up a significant chunk of the workforce in the coming years. Otherwise, we do face the challenge of actually shooting ourselves in the foot. On that generational stuff, I tend to the view that younger generations are just bolder about telling you what they're thinking and that many of the challenges that we anticipate are actually being experienced more silently by older people in the workforce as well. And there's a really powerful point, though, in there, Sahil, about challenging how we do what we do. And, you know, certainly the aspects of the work hard, play hard, hard culture, not score well on inclusion and diversity, quite apart from well-being. So as as recruitment leaders and owners, we need to be thinking about what's the culture we want to build and and what are the the bricks that make up the wall that builds it? If you were an agency owner or director now, what are the two or three things you'd think were really important to grab hold of to get well-being on the right path? I think I would look at uh, what I understood by the word strategy, because we always talk about strategy. And it's very important that that's really in the literature, in the business school literature, it's Michael Porter, who is the doyen of uh, academics here, said that strategy was a unique mix of value delivered in a differentiated way. So let's take those words. If I am an owner and I'm in a position where I help 
advise in this respect. What's our unique mix of value? How do we deliver it differentiated to the three key cohorts that we must always have in the forefront of our minds for well-being? So I need to retain my my talent and attract talent into my business. I also need to ensure that the candidates, particularly those permanent and particularly temporary workforce, what about their wellness needs? Am I doing anything to understand how the current cost of living crisis, how uncertainty is affecting them and clients. I'm here to provide talent to the clients, but I also understand, do I understand what the clients are facing in terms of attrition, not just the great resignation, but now the attrition that they are facing because people's wellness is affecting productivity. So if I'm an owner, I'm going to start thinking that actually as a talent solution provider, I need to walk my talk, the people that are in my business. Have I got a culture that works to them, as you say, inclusion and wellness combined? And am I able to understand that actually is the whole person who's part of my team? Am I supporting their well-being? And ditto for the candidates, because that's what's going to differentiate my brand, because the competition's enormous. But there are now initiatives to support temporary workers' well-being. That's something that I've begun to see, and I've been proud to be a part of that over the last few years. And clients, too, are now, Neil, I've been involved for a number of years, where clients are now looking proactively as part of determining who they're going to work with to their talent partners, do they understand that there's a bigger element that they can contribute in terms of the wellness strategies that the clients themselves are pursuing? So there's a couple of things there. Isn't there? One is that longer termism rather than short termism. So again, it, it stacks up something we've often talked about on this podcast, which is you know really good relationships with clients are the ones that build on for months and months and years and years and where the individual transaction is part of a wider and deeply understood relationship. But there's also something about culture here. And the thing that sings out to me from what you're saying, Sahil, and I really want to kind of nail it for listeners, is this is not about your well-being program of the things that you do that sit around your culture. This is much more about your culture as a business and all the things that maybe you've done for a long time that maybe need to change a little. Is that fair? I think that is fair. And I think uh, things that we take for granted, for example, it's now, if you look at some of the reports coming out of uh, McKinsey's Health Institute, they highlight rather soberingly the idea that uh, there's been quite a pressure for people to participate in team bonding events, which might be the weekend, they might be the evenings, they might be social events that spread into non-working hours. No one is saying those shouldn't happen, but at the point you made earlier, if that becomes endemic, what does that say about people who are from perhaps different backgrounds, who've got different uh, responsibilities? Are we Are we ensuring that that whole person individually is being respected, inclusion, all of these other elements that come into it. And I think we have to look at it commercially as well. The statistics show that uh, for every $1 invested in well-being support, $4 return is delivered to that government level World Health Organization. And I think uh, organizations, look, at the end of the day, a business owner needs to protect the value of the business and grow the capital value, but also manage the risk. And I think well-being does both of those things because it's actually something that asks us fundamental questions about our culture, as you say, Neil. And is it fit today in the 2020s, the way that we are working, compared to where it was 10 years ago? And what are the expectations of the people that we're working with and to whom we serve and provide our services? So I think it is a clarion call 
to make some changes. And if we're able to do that, and I've worked with a number of organisations who've done a number of these things, I think it uh, bodes well for the industry if we can show that we are at the front of that uh, talent trend. So there's something in there about thinking about what you do, challenging what you do, and almost having a bit of boldness. You know, I'm thinking at this point about the four day a week trial, which, you know, being a, an old fashioned industrial relations kind of guy, I'm slightly skeptical of, uh, mm. by predilection. And obviously the firms that signed up to it were, uh, clear that clearly of a sort that they felt they could make it work. But I, I do like about it is they've chosen to do something bold to try and tackle well-being. Um, and, and indeed productivity. So those two things going in hand of, of return to the company and better well-being for, for staff. It may be that the answer is different from firm to firm, but the challenge is for owners and managers is to actually have that discussion. Is that fair? I think that's completely fair. And, and uh, the point you make is borne out by some of the practices that we've already seen. For example, we have to start thinking the unthinkable is I think the challenge and we don't know what tomorrow will bring with great certainty futurologists uh, you know all due respect to them but a classic example is, is the hybrid working or working from home which as we all know was was really very marginal pre-pandemic and there was a huge amount of skepticism about what this would actually be in reality I know the debate continues about the extent of that but I think it's undeniable uh, to have a blended environment of where people can work wherever they want and from home and in a hybrid manner. I think that's been shown to, to bring results. We can't be prescriptive, as you say, Neil. It depends on industries. It may depend on sectors. But I think challenging current dogma is something that I think industry shows that if you if you want to avoid being creatively disrupted, you need to be able to be doing that yourself. That's exactly it. There is a commercial undertone here, which is someone else will come along doing a picture in a and, and achieving more productivity. There's definitely something, something in trying things and thinking strategically and challenging yourself before other people challenge you and thinking about well-being as not just being about being nice to your staff, but thinking about it as a change to productive model. And a classic example is hybrid. I regard myself as relatively experienced now in being the leader of a hybrid business after three years. Um, and, and it's different. You need to spend a different balance of time on management and leadership. Uh, you need to remember that some of the deep personal bonds of trust, which people build up when they're together for 40 hours a week, take longer to build up in a hybrid space. You need to think about time bringing people together. You need to absolutely think that, well, when people's workplace is also their home, you need to make sure that they have space away. The questions are different for each firm based on their mode of production and their culture and their and their strategy. And that feels like isn't a job for HR. Of course, it is a job for HR, but it's a job for leaders, isn't it? Absolutely is. And I think it's collective leadership, not just across the one business, but across the industry. And I think um, I read somewhere, um, Ariana Huffington, CEO at Thrive, said this is a once in a generation opportunity to redefine how we work and live. And, and, and she predicts that there'll be those businesses that embed well-being uh, into their workflow itself that will be the winners. And I, and I think I support that idea. I think well-being is something that should be almost a golden thread or strand that runs through whatever business does, not, as you say, 
an exercise where we are just showing compliance with that. So leaders, by definition, are going to have to do these um, paradigm shifts because at the end of the day, those shifts are taking place all around us. Uh, and we will have to either be followers or at least partly um, co-creators of them. That makes lots of sense to me. And I know you've been working with various recruitment businesses on this. Tell me a little bit about the work you've been doing, Sahel, and uh, maybe how it feels relevant commercially as well as morally to these workplaces. No, it's been a privilege for me to be able to work uh, over these uh, past few years with recruiters across all industries. The way my approach is inclusive inner wellness, this is how I define it, making sure that I draw in terms of well-being on the strands around the world from all traditions around the world. And I think previously much of the approach to wellness and well-being has been fabulous but been a little bit blinkered in terms of uh, we're drawing on purely the Western model of what works. So I, I went around the world, found practices that worked, evidence-backed, and have shared those. That's been particularly well-received in industries where there is a huge amount of diversity, the NHS being a classic example. We've provided wellness support to clinicians and non-clinicians during the pandemic. And I've worked with many people uh, who, who will, of course, know the REC extremely well, Empresaria, Meridian, Montreal, the good businesses in different sectors and going, tying it back to how that helps commercially, uh, my own business where I'm working on the board with Newcross, we've provided a wellness webinars for our internal staff to help them in this post-pandemic period, in this period of uh, volatility and uncertainty and cost of living crisis. On your commercial point, I've worked with recruiters who have now embedded wellness this wellness offering which helps people with simple steps to get more of the emotions that they want less of the emotions that they don't want quieten that critical voice that's in their head i've helped them share this with their clients to be able to provide it as part of a service offering whether they're going for a tender exercise or whether they're going for a a new round of contract wins it's part of the offering that stands out to make it to go back to strategy a differentiated offering and in in one case I worked with uh, an organization that supplied to the retail sector. And what they did was to actually say, look, we are going to provide this wellness to our candidates. So these are typically defined as self-employed people, contractors, and who's looking after their well-being. That seems to have fallen through the cracks. And people who are employed tend to get wellness support from employers. What about the huge number of temporary workers, which are very significant to the recruitment industry. So I've been involved in a number of initiatives to support those cohorts and their well-being in the United States, in the Far East, here in Europe, in, in, in the UK. And, and furthermore, just part of a thought leadership program, I work with Page Group in creating more awareness of some of the wellness trends that are taking place. And New Cross itself, we, we have our plans to now roll this out across the the industry, across healthcare, at a time when the healthcare workforce is in desperate need for any support that it can get, particularly around well-being, as it faces really unique challenges and shortages, as uh, I know that you're very well aware of. Absolutely, and we've discussed those in the in the past. And one of the big challenges in the UK, we know, is the scale of labour supply. And one of the ways you keep people in the labour market as you make sure they don't burn out. So as well as being a kind of short-term gain for 
recruiters, anything we can do on well-being is a long-term game for the economy and for prosperity in in the United Kingdom, isn't it? So there's a there's a real moment around us as leaders in the sector stepping up to this. So, Hale, if people want to find out a little more about you and what you do, where can they look? They can obviously find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, quite active there. I'm uh, very proud, of course, uh, to be a partner to the REC. So I'm sure they can look at the REC website and uh, my own SahelMerzaCoaching.com website has an outline of this inclusive inner wellness approach, examples of the work that I've done. And of course, the, the philosophy, the idea that by taking some simple steps each day, we can actually build that uh, self-acceptance and flourishing, which is the most important thing, I think, for people as we cope with a very volatile and uncertain present, but one which is rich with opportunity. I couldn't agree more. And if you think about where consultants in our sector are successful is when they're doing things with intent and with control, when they've thought about the actions they're taking. That is the kind of thing that people do when they're coming from a place of a calm mind and inner well-being. So well-being really, really matters. You've mentioned the REC Business Partners website. Listeners can find Sahel's details on there as well. And Sahel's very kindly offered REC members a discount on some well-being services as part of that. So do check that out after the you finished listening today so hey that's been fantastic thank you very much uh for for joining us today it's been a privilege always find it enriching uh, whenever i share time with you neil uh, likewise and thank you to all of you for joining us here on this episode of talking recruitment the rec podcast an absolute delight to have you along if you have not yet whetted your appetite for REC podcast content and you'd like a little more, a couple of really good recent episodes. Episode three for 2023 with Sam uh, from our campaigns team. Looking forward to the 2023 budget on the 15th of March. Episode two with Ed from Optimize on a super important issue, neurodiversity and recruitment. Really interesting listen and link to some new uh, some new work that the REC published back in January. Well worth a look as well. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you to, to Sahel. And I look forward to you joining us again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.